Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here. Now, I imagine there are many listeners who have made good use previously of Stella O'Malley's book, Bullyproof Kids. And similarly, there are many who may make good use of her new book, What Your Teen Is Trying To Tell You. Uh, Psychotherapist Stella O'Malley, thank you very much for being with us. Of course, teens are trying to tell you all sorts of different things, aren't they? In all sorts of different ways, often with parents struggling to actually understand that. Yeah, I know. I know one one parent said to me, "I know what my t- teen is trying to tell me, and I'm not buying it," which I thought was very witty. But I do think that all all they say, all communication, all behaviour is communication. And so, when your teen is trying to tell you something, they might be telling it with rolled eyes or with a slam door or with their words, or their non-appearance at dinner, and up, they're upstairs locked in their room type thing. And I'm trying in this book to help parents help their teenagers. I do think teenagers are having a very hard time these days. Why is that? There's a mix of reasons. I think childhood has become very magical and incredibly pleasant, almost Disney-like insofar as children are brought lots of lovely, lovely places, great activities, Legoland, Disney, whatever. And then they're also taught, you know, a, a bit of a lie, which is the good guy always wins. And if you try hard enough, that you'll, you'll succeed and wish upon a star. And then they hit reality between the ages of in and around 10 and 20. Like, and it's a brick wall of reality where they learn actually some of the, sometimes the bullies are the most popular and the best looking. And sometimes you can try really hard and fail. And that very bitter pill seems to be more bitter at the, mo- at the moment, arguably because childhood is so good and arguably because adolescence is that bit more complex and that bit more harder, perhaps with social media, the lack of the kind of comfort blanket that religion was, that when you were a distressed teenager in previous decades, many turned to religion as in, this is the plan. You know, this is the this is the kind of framework. If I'm good, one day I'll get my reward. That's all gone. So it's kind of, you're on your own, good luck. All that stuff we told you in childhood, isn't that going to happen? I can so, see so you thinking. Of, I am. So all this helicopter parenting, as it used to be called, and still maybe goes on, trying to provide so much for children, so much protection, has it perhaps robbed them of resilience? Yeah, it's. I think it has. I think it's sold them a, a line that isn't actually true. That there, that you know, that there is a plan that it's all going to be okay. When actually, honestly, life is very hard, and sometimes you can have great joy in it, and you can have lovely kind of moments of real happiness. But there's an awful lot of unfairness, and a lot of children have been kind of brought up to without. It's not been a grand conspiracy. It's just been the way it has gone in our efforts to create these magical childhoods. We have created it. But the the corresponding disappointment that lands in adolescence seems to be very severe. I see it a lot in about January, February of first year. Kids come in to me, teenagers, because I'm a psychotherapist, they come in. And you can see they're just derailed. It, nothing is going the way they thought it would go. And they're, And I often say, are you a bit disappointed by life? And they're like, yeah. I thought it was going to continue like my childhood. I thought I was going to get these great friendships, maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, sleepovers, hang out by the locker. It's nothing like that. It's grim and it's anxious making and everybody's insecure and there's a lot of competition. And I don't feel at all like I thought I would feel. 
when I was younger and looking into the teen years. And I saw that so many times in a row with teenagers. I'm like, we kind of culturally sold them this. And then we're told, well, then that's life. Get over it. And it's a heavy land. Are these teenagers telling you this in a way that they wouldn't tell their parents? Um, I think as a psychotherapist, you kind of get a, 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 a very quick road. They're, once they trust you, if you've got a good way about them, I kind of get on with teenagers. I like teenagers. I was pretty awful as a teenager. Oh, I was going to get to that. <laughs> yeah. And so I have a soft spot for them. And so, yeah, I do think they will tell me things that they wouldn't tell their parents. And that is a special relationship we have, the therapists do have with the teenagers. And I, I, I think that's fair enough. I think teenagers are starting to go away from their parents and it's fair enough that they're stri- trying to kind of privately find their way in life. It, it is natural to kind of turn down your parents and turn up all the other influences during adolescence. It is developmentally appropriate, but the parents can feel left out and they are left out. Which is hard. Okay, go back to your own story, because this is relevant. Tell us about being a terrible teenager, and you do write about this in the book. I do. I was. I was I was a very distressed, unhappy, pretty off-the-wall teenager. I kind of charged around, filled with certainty and passion, and kind of a, a real kind of volatile vibe off me where I could go any which way. I could laugh or cry, if you follow me, and did both, maybe at the same time. And there was a wildness about me. I remember my parents didn't quite know how to handle me. I had, I think I was quite intimidating. And I think some teenagers are intimidating to their parents, where it's like, whoa, all this emotion. They just weren't ready for that wave of, of, of intensity that was coming out of me. So I became a kind of law unto myself that I was doing what I wanted and they were just looking on going, there's no control in that one. You know what I mean? She, she, she's off on one. Now, I had some some, you know, definitely wild times and then in and around my mid-twenties, I settled. It was like I was it a took snow... took you that long? Yeah, it did. <laughs> I was. <laughs> yes, Matt, I did. <laughs> I was. I didn't go to college and I was a street trader and <laughs> I had a crazy life. I was all over the place. But then I did settle. And Sarah, I, what did yes. you put that down to? Was that just the way you were hardwired? Because you hear a lot of people say, well, it was a result of some sort of trauma and a reaction to trauma. What was it with you? Well, they, yeah, well, I, I did have a di- difficult upbringing. So you could say, you could easily say it, it was some sort of trauma. But then you look at the siblings and you go, that, that doesn't add up. Um, they do say around about a third of teenagers have an easy enough time. Around about a third have, you know, some scrapes. It's a bit choppy, but let's get through. And then about a third are demonic. I was in that third. <laughs> that they just are just, you can't reach them. And I think there's a bit of a taboo around those. The parents don't, we laugh about, you know, the two-year-old making a show of us. We laugh about the six-year-old having a tantrum and stuff. We kind of zip it when our teenager is mortifying us at our, you know, 50th party, which they do regularly. And we, we kind of expect more from teenagers by then. And they're still, in fairness, when you look at the brain signs, if, you, if your teenager's doing your head in today, look at the brain signs of a teen and you'll realise, oh my God, they're only working on half a deck of cards here. They, they don't have all the cards yet. There's a story you have in the book about your father and a poem in the car. Oh, yeah. Tell us that. Tell the listeners that because, you know, I think that probably might resonate with a lot of them. 
It's it, it's a sad story actually. Um, so my me and my dad didn't get on at all, and we were in the car, and he handed me. He'd gone to the bother in the nineteen eighties to print out something, which is a hassle. Let's face it, back then, and it was the poem um, Philip Larkin. Can I say the the title? We give the language warning here, but it is relevant. So yeah. please use it. So the name of the poem is "They Fuck You Up," or the name of the poem is "This Be the Verse," but it's the first line, the first is, line they, is "They Fuck You Up." Your mum and dad, they may not mean to. But they do. And they fill with you you with all the faults you had and add some extra just for you. And he, he gave to me, it goes on, it's a really good poem, it's a very powerful poem. And because I can only say I was obstreperous and arrogant and feeling mean, I don't know, I read it knowing this was kind of big for him, if you follow me. And rather than saying good poem or mm, or anything decent that I could have, all the nice responses I could have done, because I did, I read it and got it. It's not that it didn't pass me by. I, I got it. This is a beautiful poem. Sad, kind of saying, you know, I had a hard time too. I, I let it fall out of my hands into the kind of stair, you know, the feet, where your feet are in the car and just looked ahead, just... Didn't give him, didn't give him any kind of recognition, and like he's since died. So it's a, it's a very sad anecdote of you don't know when you're reaching your teenager. I do happen to remember that thirty years, thirty five years later, I remember. Did you ever mention it with him subsequently? No, never did. Did you ever reconcile with him? Oh yeah, we got along in our own way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that is the meanness of a teenager that I I just didn't have the decency that I would now have that you just if somebody is so vulnerable to reach out to you and I didn't meet him I didn't meet him in any sort of honesty I was fake he was real and I just you know what I mean just did that kind of that teenage wall that is so distressing for parents two questions in one what brought you out of it does everybody come out of it yeah they're two huge questions. You know, an awful lot of mental health problems begin in teenage years. For me, I wonder, did I need to, I think I did need to go through everything I went through and I did go through a lot. For me, it, it wasn't counselling that brought me out of it. It was, it was reading books. Ironically, it's no accident that I write books around this because I was reading books in my 20s and understanding myself. And I know that sounds very nerdy, but that's what, made a huge difference to me. Just understand that these are universal crazy that I'm I'm experiencing rather than my private I'm I'm mad. That was such a revolution in my mind when I realized this through You were not alone. That I, that loads of people were as mad on madder than me because I honestly didn't think there was anybody would even touch the madness of my mind. I thought I was off on one. And yeah, so that was a huge one. I did go to a few different counsellors and I didn't get anywhere. Just didn't connect with them at all. I went to a beautiful kind of course out in Dunleary. It was about kind of some sort of personal development. And I remember that was very moving. It's, it's, you know, when you look back, I, I it was so random. I could have easily, I believe, I could have so easily not got out of it. Do you know what I mean? And can I ask in that period... Did you, as I think often happens, resort to drink and drugs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And an awful lot of people, sadly, from that era. And my best friend, you know, died. And, you know, my best friend at the time, and he was a very good, you know, for many, many years, best friend. He ended up dying homeless from drink and drugs. So 
there was an awful lot of tragedy came out of those years that like a lot of people didn't get through. A lot of people had a huge addiction and huge alcoholism that gripped them. Now, I've never figured out and I'm almost obsessed with it. Why did I get through and why did somebody else? I just don't know. See, that's a sort of a backhanded way of answering my second part of yeah. that original question is, does everybody get all of it? Unfortunately, they don't, do they? No, and I don't think you can quite say who's going to get out of it or who, who, who won't. I know not many people would have chosen me as somebody likely to get out of it. I did seem very out of control and very unreachable. So I don't think many people would have said she'll be all right. And others... You know, do you remember that film Train Spotting and, you know, the, the kind of one by one by one, they kind of collapsed in on themselves. Even the really together one, you know what I mean, ended up addicted. I just remember that was such a good book showing how, you know, it's it if the culture is really destructive all around you, you'll get caught. OK, well... The book is full of practical examples because probably everyone has a different story when you tell lots of stories of different teenagers who you've dealt with as a psychotherapist. But you said and used a word earlier, which I think might be interesting to a lot of parents, intimidated. What do you mean by that? I think the strength of the emotion of a teenager is very intimidating. I think coupled that with an awful lot of parents are terrified of mental health because of our culture that seems to have kind of done a garbled version of making us aware of mental health. So they're afraid of their kids' distress. They're afraid of their teenager's distress. And if the teenager has a lot of power in their emotion and in their presence, an awful lot of parents are intimidated and buckling and folding in the face of the teenager's distress and basically... Whatever, whatever. You're so distressed, you're way out of my planet. So whatever you want, you can have it. You, you Is can that because it. they're afraid of self-harm, for example? Yeah. They're afraid of self-harm. They're afraid of suicide. They're, and so they should be. These are petrifying kind of issues. They're afraid of eating disorders. They're afraid of saying anything for fear. The so what do they do? Does your book tell yeah, them what to do? Yeah. Well, the idea, the grand plan of the book is to empower parents that, yes, it is tricky. Yes, it is frightening. But also you are the world expert on your kid and you do love your kid more than anybody else. And you'll probably put in way more effort than anybody else. And it's OK. Just read a little bit about the subject, just a little bit about maybe eating disorders or panic or you know self-harm. Get the psychology and you'll probably be equipped. You don't have to be as frightened as the world is making But you. even go back to your own story mm. when your father was trying and yet you refused to engage. So what does a parent do if the yeah. child won't engage? Well, you know, I, I, I would go back to my father and give a few tips to him and say, well, maybe, you know, like you could give the poem, but you could say it's pebbles in a barrel. Don't think this is the only event. That's one thing that a lot of parents do, which I, God bless my dad, I don't know if that's what, his one and only effort, you know. But I do think a lot of parents, they do one big effort, like we, they, I took them away for a night and I said I was going to have a chat with them and then it all fell apart. They were really awful. That's it. It's over. I, I can't try anymore. While I try to kind of say, nah, it's more like pebbles in a barrel. You're just throwing in gestures of kindness, gestures of affection. Sometimes they'll be thrown back in your face, but it's okay. It'll, it'll fill up eventually because the love a parent has is really special. And when you can just continuously offer that and not get derailed by fear of the child's distress, 
you're more likely to get through. It is a long game, and I can feel you. You're not buying it, Matt. No, <laughs> that's not it at all. I'm not buying. No, let's say not at all. Don't be insinuating by the way I look at you. How I'm actually thinking. Look, it's a great read. There's great practical advice in it, and it's always good to talk to you, Stella O'Malley. Thank you for joining us. The book is What Your Teen Is Trying to Tell You. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here.